Welcome to The Savvy Founder, the one place for entrepreneurs and business owners, away from the everyday bustle, where we help you find your path to a profitable and bright future. Now here's your host, The Savvy Founder and armchair sociologist himself, Philip Topham. Hello and welcome to The Savvy Founder. I'm Philip Topham, your host. I have Gavin Dove here in the studio, or rather the virtual Zoom studio. Where are you calling from today, Gavin? Uh, I'm calling from Montreal, Quebec, here in beautiful Canada. Uh, thanks for having me on the show, Philip. I'm glad you're here. Yeah, we got connected through uh, the proverbial networking. Uh, one thing led to another, and of course, as somebody who is now learning Spanish myself, I was excited to get connected. And so Fluent is a phenomenal company that you've developed. So why don't you give a, the audience a little bit of what Fluent is, and then we'll delve into your startup journey and story. Yeah, definitely. So just at a high level, Fluent is basically solving the problem of habit formation and language learning. Um, there's all these like great language apps out there, like Duolingo, uh, Anki, everything like that. And like sort of the hardest thing about learning with these is actually staying engaged for the years it takes to learn a language. Um, humans are easily distracted creatures. And ultimately what it comes down to is you need to be able to consistently put in X number of minutes or hours a day into your language practice to actually get anywhere. Um, and we saw all of these language products, which are sort of based on like, uh, I don't know, practicing something before bed, going on the app and remembering to do so every day. And we realized that was kind of a flawed model because ultimately they're competing against things like Netflix, YouTube, hanging out with your family, uh, going to the restaurant for your attention. Um, and basically what we're doing with Fluent is we're saying, look, people are going to be distracted no matter what. So instead of making the language learning be something they have to carve time out of their day for, let's actually embed the language learning in what they're doing every day, reading articles, going on Reddit, Twitter. Let's actually turn that into the engine to teach people the language because like it's all language at the end of the day, it's human communication. So we have this incredible opportunity to weave the language learning into the fabric of um, all of your content. And that's what we're doing. We're right now we're a browser extension, uh, pretty simple swapping words in the content content you read into the language you're learning, making it interactive. So whenever you see a vocabulary word in say French that you're learning, uh, you can hover over it and see what the English is, see what the French is, listen to it, even do little quizzes and tests to prove your knowledge. Very nice. Yes. Yeah, so somebody's used it. It's pretty cool. Uh, but one of the questions I had, though, is, is we always say, you know, fall in love with the problem, you know, uh, for entrepreneurs. And how did you find this problem? Were you experiencing it yourself in, in trying to learn language? Yeah. So uh, I have three other co-founders who aren't on the show with me, but are here in Montreal as well. Um, and basically learning language has been like really closely tied to our personal backgrounds. Uh, we're all first and second generation immigrants. So basically we ourselves or our parents have struggled to pick up English and other languages to actually feel at home, uh, get a job, uh, 
even fit in at school. Like these were all kind of undertones throughout our lives and language has just played an enormous role in that. Um, so yeah. Very nice. Yeah. So, so you had this problem, you had this background and you were out to solve it. But when you were figuring out that journey, that product market fit, that infamous, how does it solve, how did all these pieces work? Did you immediately say, hey, it's going to be a browser extension and game over? <laughs> you're laughing. I can see the audience can't see you laughing, but <laughs> you're sadly, laughing. Sadly, no, I wish that would have saved us a lot of uh, heartache, blood, sweat, and tears. But basically, kind of how we came to the realization was, um, me and my co-founders had been living in Montreal, which is a French speaking city for a few years now. Um, and like, despite having successfully picked up English and other languages, we'd kind of fallen for the meme of like using these like quick little gamified language apps and everything to try and pick up the language. And we were getting nowhere really fast, you know, like a lot of even our users who we've spoken to and other folks basically talk about having these like a few months on a few months off type cycles with these things because it's so hard to stay engaged uh and that's actually where sort of the brainwave for fluent came from uh me and my co-founder Yaniv we were just sitting on the couch one day kind of like talking about <laughs> how ridiculously hard it is to actually stay engaged with these types of language apps and everything and just out of conversations back and forth the idea for fluent formed very nice. Yeah, that, that's a perfect example of how we think we know what the problem is, but until you really dig into it, you don't know what the problem is. And in and you've discovered it's that engagement in learning a new language. That's wonderful. And, and as you've built the business, you've now got uh, it as a web browser and you're now up to how many? I'm, I'm sure it's more users than the last time we spoke. I think uh, since we started uh, sort of June 2020 or so, uh, we've had about 40, 45,000 signups. Uh, so getting up there, we still have a ways to go, but uh, it feels like we're on the verge of something magical. Nice. So on that journey, as you've, as you've built out the app and you, you were, how, how was it to get that first um, hundred clients. Yeah, mm -hmm. That's the, the, the first for consumer product. I guess the first thousand clients for the consumer product. Yeah. So it was actually, so like in the race to product, towards product market fit, I think one of the most important things for us has been basically just spending as much time as possible talking to every potential possible customer, um, really understanding the problem, not just from our own perspective, but from their perspective. And that's kind of exactly where we actually got our first thousand users. We were spending all of these, this time in like subreddits, discords, Facebook groups for language learners who are struggling to learn the language. And the cool thing is, is by building relationships with these people, talking to them, understanding their problems, we're able to map product pretty closely to what they needed. And right. the rest is sort of history because when you actually do have a product that's genuinely solving people's problems, they're going to share it with their friends who also have the same problems. And that's probably one of the best signals that you're onto something. So first thousand users or so was basically just hustling in communities, watching it grow organically amongst everyone and realizing, okay, this is not just an idea. There's something that we can actually build around this and potentially expand it beyond just these communities. 
Very nice. Yeah, that's I'm always reminded of the talking to humans, you know, the more people you can talk to and really dig into and, and understand what's going on, it's really speeds that learning process. So you don't run down a blind alley, as I like to say. Yeah, for sure. There's even like, there's even a problem that a lot of startups face where like, as they see some level of success, they stop talking to their users very often, which I think is a huge mistake. And because we want to sort of honor that part of our culture and make sure we don't fall for that, like even to this day, a year and a half or so in, one of our core KPIs is have we talked to five or more users this week in terms of product and understanding it and everything like that? And I don't think we're ever going to change that. In fact, that number is probably going to go up with time. Very nice. That's a great segue. As you've moved along, you, you mentioned having KPIs. Was that built into your DNA as a company from get-go or did you learn that you had to have KPIs? That, that, was, a, that was definitely a painful lesson that we had to uh, pick up. And I think the thing that it comes down to is when you sort of try and build a business and like create something from nothing, there's constantly a thousand things to do no matter what. Um, and a lot of those things, while they may move the needle a little bit, they're not necessarily the most important thing for you to be doing at a given moment. That said, they're kind of a trap because you still feel good for doing them. Like, ah, I managed to get the taxes done. Like we got this thing out of the way. I'm moving the needle forward when really, the most important thing for you at that moment is probably trying to gather users or trying to get feedback about your product. So the powerful thing about KPIs is just like, it creates that alignment across the company where you have this huge sea of ambiguity. It says, okay, let's focus only on say like this first layer over here. That's where all of the impact is. And when you're doing something that's so incredibly uncertain, that is probably one of the most important sort of structures you can put in place at a startup. Very nice. Yeah, yeah KPIs are th that North Star metric. What are you really chasing? Are you chasing vanity measures? Are you chasing real mm -hmm. engagement with people? Uh, have, have you developed a North Star metric? Yeah, so basically right now our North Star metric, and actually before I jump in, I got to give a little bit of credit to this incredible book I read, The Four Disciplines of Execution by, uh, I believe, Chris McChesney and Sean Covey. Um, really incredible book basically built around this idea, not just of a North Star metric, but actually what is the process that you follow as a company to focus only on the most important things? Um, and a couple of the beautiful learnings from that, that we're actually implementing at Fluent, um, kind of come down to this idea of like, like you said, a North star or what they call a wildly important goal that you build everything around the company on. Um, so for us right now, that is not just having product market fit, but a crazy deep product market fit, a crazy deep product market fit that we'll give it to one person. They'll share it with 10 other language learners. That's what we're obsessed with right now. Um, so our North store as a company is basically, um, user retention, but not just user retention as measured by engagement with the product, but basically, uh, are you a power user? So starting on day zero, when you reach day 30, what percentage of those users who came in at day zero, do we consider power users? Um, and that's basically our North Star metric right now. The higher we push that number, the happier we are. And every decision we make as a company basically comes down to, will it get us there faster? Or is this a distraction? Excellent. That's wonderful. And I'll definitely have that book in the show notes because it's a great recommendation. 
Yeah. And in that journey, you have four founders as well. And one of the, uh, there's so many books you can read on problems with startups and such, and that is the founder issues. So do you have any tricks for getting alignment with the four founders? What's the, what's, how does that work? <laughs> I don't think there's any, uh, to be honest, like I feel quite privileged to, and to be in a pretty unique position where um, my founders aren't just sort of colleagues. These are really close friends. We've all known each other for between like five to eight years. Like we've genuinely be, been friends forever. Um, so we're starting from a place of like incredible trust already. We can kind of trust each other. Like everyone has the right intentions. We're not trying to serve ourselves. We're all trying to build something because we're genuinely excited to build it. Um, so I don't think that really counts as a trick co-founding a company with your close <laughs> friends. But if there's like, if you're able to do it and your friends are the type of people who will find fulfillment and satisfaction in building a company, that's probably one of the best things you could do, building it with those people. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. It's not a trick. It's, it's like you said, it's a privilege to have had such good friends that you have that trust. And I'm sure it's not always roses. You might have disagreements <laughs> as to how you're going to go about things. Uh, and which is, which is great. But, and as you've built out the product, the other thing that always startups want to know is how do you, how did you fund the business? How did you get from Okay, guys, let's have a little bit of discussion. We're all in. Yeah, so basically, just right from, I'll, I'll take it from the top of Fluent in terms of our story. Uh, basically, when we started the company, we were all working full-time jobs at the time. I was in aerospace. My co-founder, Unique Software Development. Uh, my co-founder, Ara, was finishing his last year of university. Olga was also sort of in an engineering slash design job. Um, and we ended up kind of fully buying in and quitting our jobs, not just based on one specific moment or epiphany or piece of funding we got. It was really just like a slow ramp up as we saw more and more signals that this was actually going to be something impactful and valuable and potentially something we could turn into a business. Uh, it all started basically from Hackathon where we used it to build an MVP of Fluent. And the beautiful thing is sort of when we were demoing the product of Hackathon, we won, but beyond that, locals in Montreal were coming up to us and saying like, please make this an actual product. I will pay for it. This is exactly what I need in my life, which is about the best possible signal you could get for an MVP. Um, oh yeah, that's wonderful. Exactly. And from there, the conversations with the people in the Reddit communities and the Facebook communities giving positive signals, it got us to a point where we just had more and more confidence that we were doing the right thing where we were like, okay, it isn't even like unsafe or risky to make this leap. It would be risky not to make this leap because we've discovered some interesting magical arrangement or fabric that we can turn into a magical product. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is very, uh, it's heartwarming to hear of hackathon uh, mm -hmm. starting that uh, from that uh, simple genesis and getting that feedback. Uh, that's kind of the classic story of how do you turn an idea into something and, and get that instant validation. That's, that's great. Uh, but so how did you though fund your four of you ended up 
quitting your jobs and, and getting full time in. So did you go out and raise money for the product or? Yeah, basically, we raised a little bit of angel capital. Um, one of the sort of best decisions we ever made actually was even a few years before starting Fluent was actually sort of embedding ourselves into various like online networks around building entrepreneurship, everything like that. Twitter was a really huge thing for us. Montreal has a startup scene, but it's nowhere near the size of like San Francisco or even New York. Um, so actually having like friends and mentors and advisors and just folks who are friends with in these networks online is how we were actually able to, as a couple of friends living in Montreal, raise a little bit of angel capital, uh, get some sort of like pre-seed money, everything like that. Um, so it was a little bit of a confluence of like right people, right place, right time, right friends. How long before you went to the hackathon had you already started engaging in the investor community? Uh, it must have been a year and a half, something like that. Yeah. Um, it takes a fair amount of time to actually like sort of build up a network and everything on Twitter, Reddit, all of these different places. So um, I think in the back of our minds, we had for a while really wanted to start a company together. Um, so having that piece in place really uh, sort of boosted us. Yeah, it's it's very true. I, it, you know, it's uh, no matter what you read about the network effect and building relationships. There's the old adage: we work with people we know, like, and trust, and it just doesn't happen with one tweet. Yeah, yeah. The way I like to think of it is like basically looking at where we are now, looking at where we were before, looking at where we will be when we IPO, for example, if we make it all the way there. Um, you can basically view company building as an exercise in building your village, so to speak. Right now, we're uh, seven people at Fluid. By the time we IPO, we'll probably be 10,000 people at Fluid. So like from that lens, what you're doing isn't necessarily building a company, which you are. It's actually just building the group of people who the company will come from. Exactly. Nice. In in that journey, one of the things uh, that many operating manuals talk about is your values. And you've already got KPIs. Did you start with values day one as to what, how do you know who to hire is the right person to hire and who's not the right person to hire? That is a really good question. Um, it's something I think about a lot. And there's, like you said, there's all these operating manuals, right? You want to figure out your values before you actually like, say, go build a company or go build a product, everything like that. Um, but I feel like a lot of those manuals kind of miss out on the nuance in that um, we didn't sort of say after we won the hackathon, we didn't sort of sit down and say, these are our values. I think through working together as founders, we already had, we already knew the values that we had as people who were building. And it was more of a matter of like unearthing the values that were implicit in how we conducted ourselves. So sort of now that we've had a year and a half or so to actually look back at it, knowing that our values are, for example, trust or not like trying to over-credential in the people we hire. Like we'll look at someone who went to Harvard as just as well as someone who didn't go to school or didn't go finish university and like built a really cool project. Like we'll judge them on an even basis despite them not having the pedigree and everything like that. I think like values is an exercise. It's not necessarily, you're gonna sit down and plan those out at the start. And it's more like 
they're implicit to how you act with each other. And as you go through building the company over time, as long as you're sort of donating, like using 10% of your brain to think about it or consistently re revisiting it, you will come to understand your values as a team. I think that's an eloquent way of putting that discovery process of values. You, you implicitly have values and know what works well for you or not, what resonates with you and their founding team. But the process of what they are, so they can be distilled into a, in a document where you can communicate to other people, right? So you can scale that value system out and hold people sort of as they come on board, here's our values. And everybody strays from our values. We're human at the end of the day. We, we aim for the top of the mountain, but we might get sidetracked by a pretty lake or a pretty meadow and we're not moving in the right direction. And that's where I think those values really help drive a company forward. But you're right, that you, you can't sit down in an hour, write them out and go, oh, done, game, check, yeah. <laughs> go into whatever task list you have and, and put a big X through it. No, it doesn't work like that, never has. So that's, that's brilliant. Report. Yeah, I think it's also like, like you said, writing them down and having them be explicit is really important, not just from a sense of like, we bring someone new on, they understand the values. I think there's a certain power to, if you explicitly write something out, you will be giving people the mental models to see what you're talking about in their day, right? Because it's like, yeah. oh, I read these words, I process them, I understand them. Oh, there's an example of the team not doing that because that is against the values. As opposed to if you didn't write it down, you're not really going to notice it. It's just going to be another moment in millions of moments happening in a day. Yeah, yeah. It's I've, I'm a firm believer that uh, once you create a ruler, uh, if you have no measurement on the ruler, the, the minimum you need is you need a, a two ends. You need a black end and a white end. And you can say, I'm going to this direction. I'm too gray and I need to go more to the black end or I need to go more to the white end. And that to me, that's what values are. You write down what end you're aiming towards and what you're running away from. And you constantly try to get better and better. Uh, so that's a yeah. great. When, when we were actually sort of, hiring our first employees that was an exercise we did ourselves where it wasn't just these are our values it was also like these are the things that we are not and that was a really helpful thing in understanding what our values were yeah that, that's it reminds me of a conversation that was would happen at a recent networking event uh for first startups and there was this conversation around the value of saying yes as opposed to the value of saying no so if you know what your values are, you immediately are able to say, yes, that's it. Yes, that's the direction. And you're implicitly, when you say yes to everything, you're immediately saying no to the things that weren't important enough to say yes to. So you don't actually have to say no. Rarely yeah. do you actually have to say no. And you can get out of this negative mode and get into this positive mode of just saying yes. You know, hey, do you want to go to this this great big networking event and meet people? Yes. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Yeah. It's uh, that's the trouble, right? Where it's like, because there's a thousand things to do things like KPIs, just turning it back to what we're talking about before. That is yeah. a way of implicitly saying no to other things because yes, this KPI is what we're focused on. Yeah, exactly. 
Very nice. And as you look forward with the business, what where what's your next big challenges? What's the next hurdles for you? <laughs> that is an excellent question. Um, I think one of our biggest hurdles is um, the vision we have for Fluent isn't just to be a web extension forever. Um, I think the thing that really excites us and gets out of bed every day is this idea of um, what we're doing right now, where we're actually integrating the language into your daily life as a medium for learning. It's this idea of what if we could build a world where all of your technology, not just your web browser, but like Netflix or YouTube or the conversations you're having over the phone, if all of your technology would basically conspire and work together to teach you a language. Um, I think that's kind of the magical thing we're aiming for, where right now to immerse yourself in the language, which is basically immersion is the only surefire way to learn a language that most people will be successful with if they stick with it, is like you do immersion by buying a plane ticket to the, a place that where the people speak the language you're learning. And that's incredibly expensive. It's incredibly intimidating. So we want to basically bring that to anyone, no matter where they live. We want to give them that level of immersion. So looking at our vision, where we are now, I think one of our biggest challenges is basically tactically choosing the ne correct ne next places to leap. Um, every time we make a leap to a new platform and add Fluent to that, um, that is a very expensive process in terms of time, in terms of resources, in terms of engineering, everything like that. So we need to tactically choose those next places that we leap knowing that like this place we leave next needs to give us this amount of momentum, this amount of resources that we can get to make the next leap after that. Very, very nice. Now, and is there any particular, uh, like I, when I, I, when I was just sort of geeking out, thinking about what you were saying there, I, I'm almost seeing the, the Star Trek teleporter, a hollow, the hollow deck, right? Where you walk into the hollow deck and you say, Paris, and everything's in French. You say Rio de Janeiro and everything's in Spanish. And you're suddenly immersed in that culture from the from your couch. That's exactly what we're aiming for. And a holodeck isn't even that far off. Like as we see consumer augmented reality actually sort of start to make headway, like with things like ARKit uh, on iPhone and everything like that, that's becoming more of a potential reality where maybe you have some sort of like eyewear or glasses or something that like that that give you gives you fluent like as you're interacting with the physical world um something i think about a fair amount is i had a conversation with a language learner uh about a year or more ago and they were talking about how um they were basically remembering their vocabulary by whenever they went to the supermarket they would like pick up an apple and be like this is uh, um palm um that's basically sort of the level we would be able to bring fluent to with AR where sort of what you're interacting with in the physical world is also an engine for teaching you the language. Yes, uh, wonderful. I, and I can see that working really, really well for, for things like nouns. Uh, how does that, I, I struggle though, my brain suddenly goes to verbs and maybe we won't solve that on this conversation, but it just seemed like that's the harder part of any language. Yeah, so verbs and grammar, everything like that, it would definitely probably not be the AR part of Fluent, rather the written context, spoken context, everything like that. Um, but I will say, as someone who's tried to learn multiple languages, 
verb conjugation was one of the most difficult parts. And the traditional way you go about learning that is like you sit in the classroom and the teacher writes the different like subject verb pairs and their conjugations on the board. Um, and sort of the magical thing with Fluent is when we're trying to teach you a specific set of conjugations for a verb, it's not just you sitting in a classroom looking at all the different examples of it. You're basically constantly seeing all of the different examples in the context of what you're doing. So that automatically becomes a much better engine for teaching things like grammar, because again, you're seeing it in the context of a sentence in the context of what you're trying to understand rather than this disembodied random example. Very nice. Now, uh, we could spend all day talking about language, and I'm sure we would <laughs> if uh, love to do that. As, but the time has just flow, you know, flying by. And one of the questions I like to ask uh, startup founders and such is, is as you look back at your own journey, is there anything that you would have liked to have had, you know, if you could say to your younger self, hey, watch out for this. Is there anything you would have said? Any advice? I probably, I probably would have told myself to drop out of school and pursue building companies uh, a lot sooner than I did, to be honest. Um, this is, again, a very personal thing, but sort of the thing that draws me to building companies so much is um, there's this culture that's almost required of you of insane personal growth, where you're constantly tearing yourself down and rebuilding yourself into a better version based on what you've learned. Um, school is really excellent for a lot of people, but for myself personally, I found I wasn't necessarily super engaged. I didn't get that level of personal growth that I'm getting now. Um, and in terms of like what gives me fulfillment, again, that's really closely aligned with personal growth. So I think the thing I would tell myself is, hey, look, school's great, great for a lot of people. It's not necessarily for you. You should probably get to building companies right away because you're going to learn so much faster because this is the thing that you find a lot of fulfillment in. Yeah, it's that it's that uh, are, are entrepreneurs made or nurtured. Uh, right nature sort of nurture yeah where you where you're taught how to be an entrepreneur and I, and I think you said something that I agree with and that is that insatiable desire to understand and and learn and improve and to figure out things because uh, you don't get paid for that at the beginning you in fact you lose sleep yeah <laughs> you you get told you're an idiot at times from people that what are you doing that's crazy i'm surprised i don't have any gray hairs yet like some of my co-founders have they're starting to get some gray hairs and then like the stress has been incredible but it's like sort of stress that creates diamonds so to speak so um it, yeah sort of it feels like pain in the moment but when you look back on it it is actually extremely rewarding very nice i like that that it it's it's diamonds in the making it's the stress of making diamonds i will remember that that's a good one thanks so how do people get in contact with you or experienced fluent themselves yeah so if you want to give fluent a shot it's really simple just type in go into your web browser and type in fluent.co that's our domain and our website will basically 
really easily walk you through downloading the extension, getting you started with learning. Um, Fluent's basically built for all levels. If you're a beginner, if you're an intermediate, even if you're an advanced level learner, um, you'll find it's helpful for your immersion and remembering vocab, learning new vocab, everything like that. Um, and yeah. Excellent. And I'll, I'll definitely have that in the show notes. And if somebody has tried it and still like, still, still has it installed <laughs> a little bit every day. It's great. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Very nice. So for everybody that's listening, uh, well, f- first, thank you very much, Gavin, for a wonderful conversation. The time has just flown by your honesty and authenticity authentic self comes through so much and um, we wish you tremendous um, success in building out fluent and helping people learn languages thanks Philip, and thanks for asking really good questions there's nothing more than i not i like nothing more than having really genuine conversations with good questions with good people so this was awesome um and uh yeah thanks for having me on the show thank you very much for everybody listening you've had the rare privilege of listening to Gavin Dove. I'm Philip Topham, the Savvy Founder. Please leave a five-star review. Better yet, share it with another founder so they too can shorten their journey a month, a week, a day. If you want any questions asked, you can book time with me. Ask the Savvy Founder. Love to have your questions on the show. Take care. Wishing you a bright and profitable future in both your personal and business lives. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to subscribe and check out our website for tips, thesavvyfounder.com. You can also follow Philip on Clubhouse at The Savvy Founder, wishing you a profitable and bright future. Safe journeys. See you next week.